singing again this evening. We turn in God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, picking it up where we left off last Lord's Day evening, which is picking it up then at verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, picking it up at verse 16. Paul is continuing his defense against those that he identified last Lord's Day as the super apostles. Paul is defending the gospel. He's defending himself as an apostle against the charges that those super apostles have made. One of the things that they said about Paul was that he was a fool. In this section, even as he began that back in verse 1 of this section, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Paul now continues that as well, starting it up here. It's like he began that train of thought and then the Spirit led him to write about uh, the other matters now in verse 16, he's coming back to that idea of foolishness again. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one, talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Artis was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. 
But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. As far as the reading of God's word, let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we read this passage of Scripture of Paul who needs to defend himself from these uh, false teachers and boasts of his accomplishments led by the Spirit. We ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this portion of Scripture to us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Three things from this passage. First of all, Paul's defense. Secondly, Paul's suffering. And then three, three points of application for us to take away from this particular passage this evening. First of all, Paul's defense. Are you uncomfortable with what I read? I've got to tell you, I am a little bit. It seems like strange language. This seems so out of place. This, this, to some extent, does not sound like Scripture. Certainly, it doesn't sound like Scripture language. All this talk of fools and foolishness, this talk of boasting, this talk of being a madman. Hopefully it sat a little uncomfortable with you, even as I read it, going, what do we have here? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, what we have here is the inspired Word of God, even as Douglas mentioned in his prayer. This, too, is the Word of God. This, too, is what the Holy Spirit has given to us in order to feed us. So let's start then with Paul's defense and with what's going on. And first of all, just three very quick points to fill in on the sermon outline. This is not Paul's usual tone, is it? Nor is this Paul's usual style. Nor is this his usual language. That's what perhaps confronts us in this passage. That's perhaps what made us somewhat uncomfortable even as we we read it this evening is the fact that this is not usual. This isn't the norm. This, This doesn't sound like Philippians. This doesn't sound like Ephesians. This doesn't even sound like certain parts of Corinthians. This sounds like something in in its own place, in its own circumstance, in its own situation. And that's one of the things we need to remember about this passage, that is that it does arise out of a particular circumstance, out of a particular situation. It is addressed to particular people dealing with a particular issue. But nonetheless, this too is the Word of God. And from it, God desires for us to learn. Now, in regards to those things that it's not his tone, it's not his style, it's not his language, let's remind ourselves of what is going on. One, the whole talk of fool and foolishness, as I mentioned just briefly a moment ago, is because that's the charge of these super apostles, these false teachers. So Paul is, in a sense, sort of tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's a little bit of irony. It's a little bit of sarcasm being thrown in here. He is taking the language that has been used against him, the charge that, that he's a fool, the charge that he is a madman, and saying, okay, okay, 
let's consider the fact that I am a fool and a madman. You would even listen to one of them. So won't you listen to me a moment? See, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about a fool or about a madman. We all can go, that guy's a fool, but we all listen. We all listen. We're all wondering, what's he going to step in? What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Where is this going? What's going to happen next? Paul is simply saying, if you consider me to be what these super false apostles are saying I am, well, now I got your attention. If I really am that, you're going to want to listen to what I have to say. So that's the one reason, that's one of the reasons why the tone and the style and the language is a little bit unique in this section because that's what he's dealing with. He he is indeed saying, if their charge is true, well then listen to what I have to say. As a fool, as a madman. The second thing to note, is the fact that in verse 17, Paul notes and says the fact that I say, not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Some people would say, well, you see, there you have it. Not all of Scripture is God-breathed. Not all of Scripture is, is from God. Paul himself is saying, look, I'm writing this and this is not from the Lord. But you see, you have to understand that verse too in the context in which Paul gives it. Paul ordinarily will tell us or say to us, that which I received from the Lord, that is what I passed on to you. Do you remember those words? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, when Paul has received a direct command from the Lord, Paul references that. Paul will say, hey, I'm not, this isn't, I got this directly from the Lord in the sense of a revelation. What Paul is simply saying here is, look, I'm addressing, I'm writing this to you, but this is not something that came by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. It isn't that I had a vision. It isn't that Jesus spoke to me like he did on the the way to Damascus. It, it, It isn't that sort of thing. That does not at all lessen the fact that this is God breathed, inspired word. It just means there's no direct command in regards to this. When Paul, for example, might talk about marriage and divorce, he'll reference the words of Jesus that Jesus taught in regards to it. That's a command received directly from Jesus. What he's dealing with here has not been referenced in that way by Jesus. Nonetheless, it is inspired for us. The third thing to note, is the fact that he spends much time talking about boasting. In fact, uh, boasting comes up frequently in the, in the last couple of chapters, and it will into chapter 12 as well. But the odd thing is, and, and we, we might deal with this a little bit later, Paul is not boasting as we would normally think boasting is. 
Boasting is usually about one's accomplishments. Boasting is usually about one's successes. In fact, based upon what we've been studying out of 2 Corinthians these last several chapters, that's exactly what those false teachers in Corinth are doing. They're talking about how great they are. They're talking about how eloquent they are. They're talking about how knowledgeable they are. They're talking about their special revelations. They're talking about how holy they are. They're talking about how good they are at keeping the law. They're they're boasting about all the things that we would think people of the world would normally boast about. That which they have achieved, that which they have earned, that the titles that they have behind their names. The money, amount of money they have in the bank account. Paul, however, you'll note, is not boasting of those kinds of accomplishments. Paul's boasting is actually in his weaknesses. Paul is boasting about those things. Most people would go, "Uh, Paul, that doesn't make us think any greater of you. In the eyes of the world, Paul, you look like a fool by telling us these things. None of the things that he is going to recount that that are coming up in our next section are things that the people of the world or the super apostles or even the Corinthian church would go, wow, that's quite something, Paul. No, they'd look at all of these things as huge negatives, as weaknesses. You got beaten? What's the matter with you? You've got shipwrecked? Man, what's God got against you? You've been hungry all those many times? You must be a fool that God's judging you in this way. Yet Paul boasts in those things. So it's not a pride, it's not an arrogance. What he's really doing is, is he's really flipping the tables on his accusers. He's saying, you're right, I don't speak well. In fact, you want to know, I've been beaten quite a few times, sometimes with rods. And down the list he'll go. So once again, we have to keep in mind here that there's a little bit of irony going on. There's a little bit of sarcasm. And of course, that's really highlighted for us in verse 19. For you gladly bear with fools. Now, he's addressing the Corinthians, and he's saying, you bear with fools. Now, he said, bear with me, because you think I'm the fool, so bear with me. Listen to what I have to say. But now Paul is turning it again, and he's saying, well, you ought to listen to me, because I know the fools that you listen to. Now, he's referencing the false teachers. The Corinthian church has entertained has has been hospitable to, has been open to these false teachers in the church. And Paul is saying, that's foolish of you. Why are you giving them the pulpit? Why are you giving them teaching opportunities? Fools do not, should not be allowed that. But you have done it. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. Remember back in 1 Corinthians when, when Paul was dealing with the man who was uh, shacking up with his stepmother 
And the Corinthians were boasting about how tolerant they were about that. And, and they were saying, see, look how open-minded we are. Okay? Look at how much compassion we have. We even allow this man who is shacking up with his stepmother to be a part of our church. We allow him to come to communion. Aren't we wonderful, loving people? And Paul calls them to task. He says, no, that isn't right. You, you think you're being benevolent, but you really aren't. See, the Corinthians are looking at this going, see how open-minded we are. See how tolerant we are. We allow these men of opposing views who do not preach the same thing Paul does, who do not preach the same gospel Paul does. We allow them to come. See, aren't we fair? Aren't we balanced? Aren't, aren't we open-minded? Paul is saying, oh yeah, you're so wise. That's such a wise move to make. I, I can't think of anything wiser than to entertain fools. So even as we have in the Old Testament the case of Elijah and his sarcastic remarks to uh, the followers of the prophets of Baal, there seems to be within God's preview a place a place to call God's people to task. A place where those who are of false faith, false religion, false teaching, need to be dealt with. For this too is the word of the Lord. Now why is Paul going to all this extent? What? Why? Seems like, wow. Incredible amount of time Paul spent on this. Well, as we said last week, it's because the issue is of great significance. False charges have been leveled against Paul. And the boasting of the super apostles is leading to a different gospel. And is leading to the church to a different Jesus other than the one who proclaims salvation through his blood alone. The reason Paul adopts a different tone, a different style, and a different language in this section is because the issue is so serious. And it needs to be dealt with. Secondly, Paul then goes on to list those sufferings. I've read it once already, I, and we've referred to it a couple of times, so I'll, I'll not go back over the verses, but... But we could divide those into three categories. There are the physical sufferings that Paul deals with. There are the emotional sufferings. Listen to when he talks about the fact of, in verse 28, and apart from other things, which would have been all the physical things that have come up to there, verse 28, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, it's kind of strange hearing the Apostle Paul talk about that, isn't it? Apostle Paul is one who, who gives us scriptural advice as to how to deal with anxiety, and yet Paul himself has anxiety. Oh, not about himself, but his anxiety is for the churches. See, we sometimes, we, we sometimes don't, don't realize the humanity of these individuals such as the Apostle Paul. Here he's gone around on these mission 
journeys and various churches have been started and you know he could probably see the faces of people as the gospel is preached as the holy spirit opens up those hearts and and the darkness turns to light and there are those who come forward and say Paul, I want to be baptized in the name of Christ. Me and my entire family, we want to give our lives to Christ. Paul knowing in those circumstances and in those situations that they've never overwhelmed the city. They've always been in a very small minority. And there are always the Jews who have persecuted him just like they're going to persecute these young Christians. There's a Roman government that's rising in opposition to this Christian faith as well. The concern and weight upon Paul. And then there's this false teaching that's going around. This too weighs upon Paul. But there is a third category as well. Not only does Paul's sufferings take a a physical dimension, the actual getting beaten with rods or whips, there's the emotional toll, the anxiety, but there is also a spiritual battle taking place. And some of the sufferings that Paul dealt with, he deals with, they're coming at him not beating his body, not messing with his heart and mind, but it's his soul. I think that's the reference we have at the end. It, it, it almost doesn't seem to fit the rest, does it? All of a sudden, at the end, at verses 32 and 33, Paul includes this little snippet about Damascus. At Damascus. At Damascus. They were going to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. Why does Paul mention that? Well, the scene you have in Damascus is one of the very first things that happens to the converted Saul of Tarshish. As he's on his way to Damascus is his born-again experience. You'll recall they had the scales on his eyes. He's blinded. He goes to the home of the prophet Okay, as he's baptized, I believe it's the scales come off. The very next thing that takes place in the life of Paul is they need to get him out of Damascus because his life is in danger. Now imagine that. You've just become a Christian. That's what just happened. He just became a believer. And the first thing Satan is attempting to do is to destroy him. I think the reason Paul includes that there is because he's trying to show us that from the beginning, the beginning of his Christian life, Satan has been attempting to destroy him physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Why does Paul speak of these things? I 
Paul says, this is what authenticates my apostleship. This is what makes my faith real. Not the things of this world. Not the human eloquence. Not the human knowledge. The fact that I suffer for the cause of Christ. That's his defense. When all is said and done, as he deals with these false teachers there in the city of Corinth, taking over in his absence, his final defense is this. I'm real. Because I suffered for Christ. Now what is it? brothers and sisters in Christ, that the Lord would have you and I take away from this passage. Well, as I said, let me give you three. One, it seems to me that one of the things the Lord is pointing out to us is this, that there is a crying need for that which we refer to as apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. It is a reasoned response to false teaching. Defending the faith, defending the truth, defending the gospel. That is what Paul is doing. I'm not so sure the church in the 21st century is able to do that. I don't think we're, we're real good. Oh, there might be individuals here and there who are skilled at those reasoned responses to false teaching. But I'm not so sure that, that most of us as ordinary Christians without great certificates of learning to our name, that, that most of us are real good at apologetics, at defending the faith. You know, a few weeks ago I mentioned to you that we can, be gracious, we can be thankful to the Lord for this little window that God has given to us, at least in our nation where at least it would appear that we are able, we are able now to reasonably defend ourselves. I don't know how long that window is going to be open, neither do you. But we had better make most of the opportunity. That means we now need more than ever not to be saying, oh, it's all taken care of. we got a guy in the White House who will, you know, cover us. We're all set. It'll be okay. We'll get our guy on the Supreme Court and all the decisions will come. If you and I develop that attitude, my friends, that door is going to close quicker than it opened. Because God does not want us to be sitting on our hands doing nothing. He wants us to rise up and to defend the truth of His Word. He wants us to rise up and to defend the Gospel. He wants us to rise up. That's what He wants. But He doesn't want us to do it with our weapons, with our ammunition of the world. He wants us to rise up with a reasoned defense of the truth. So maybe Sports Center needs to turn off and you need to go to Bible study. Maybe the Food Network has to become second, third, fourth to opening up God's Word and actually reading it and studying it. 
Maybe rather than those little ear pod thingies in our, in our ears listening to all sorts of secular music, maybe, just maybe, we ought to be listened, listening to seasoned men of the gospel who will present to us that which we need to arm ourselves so that we may go about the work that God is calling us to in our day and in our age in this window that God in His grace and mercy has granted to this church in this nation. I am sure that nations around the world have had the freedom and opportunity to worship the Lord but have that window closed. They're now thinking, we should have learned more. We should have studied more. We should have been more evangelistic. We should have been more concerned about our neighbor down the street than we are about the person in Africa. Because you see, that's easy. You just send some money. The neighbor down the street calls for weakness. It calls to be thought of the fool. I think Paul is laying before us a case that says we need to be ready to defend the truth. We need to be prepared. Secondly, there is a need for a reality check in our lives. Jesus said, if, if they're going to kill me, what do you think they're going to do to you? Here's the reality, folks. The reality of, is this. Paul's life was not a bed of roses. Paul's life was not, oh, I'm converted on the way to Damascus. Man, everything goes great from that point on. I have no problems. I have no issues. Everything just goes well for me. Read the verses again. The reality is we get persecuted. We suffer. We suffer the blows that Satan would bring against us in order to undo, or seek to undo, I should say, that which God has done. Listen to Paul as he writes in Philippians chapter 4. These words. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the reality check. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't have pain. Being a Christian doesn't mean you won't suffer. Being a Christian won't mean you don't have sleepless nights. Being a Christian doesn't mean your vehicle never breaks down. Being a Christian doesn't mean your business doesn't ever grind to a slow halt. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never get sued. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never have to go to the consular. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you never suffer. 
But being a Christian does mean that you know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Third, that's first, a need for apologetics. Secondly, a need for a reality check. And the third is a need for humility. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If I must boast, Paul writes in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There is a crying need amongst the church of Jesus Christ today for that kind of humility. A kind of humility that reflects upon Isaiah 53 and says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The realization that if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, then I'm not about making a name for myself in the worldly circuits. I need to boast of my weaknesses. We need to become individuals who realize how dependent we are upon the Lord. That we are dependent upon Him for everything. Paul is going to write in chapter 12 these words. They come to us from the 10th verse. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why is he content with that? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now how does Paul get to verse 10? Well, we've got to go through, Lord willing, next week, verses 1 through 9. Paul is going to put his heart out there going to say, look, my life isn't easy. I struggle too. But I've learned that when I'm weak, when I'm humble, that's when God's strength fills me. For this week, hang on to that. Hold on to that. God will take care of you. God's people say, Father, we thank you again for your word, for the realities of it. That, Father, you don't gloss over things. You, you don't just give us uh, the nice rosy picture. You, you create for us in your word truth. Not alternative facts and not fake news. You give to us the truth of what it's like to live a Christian life. And it's not an easy one. But your grace, your grace is sufficient. And upon that, Father, we will indeed boast for the glory and for the honor of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray and God's people say, Amen.